here today, we have the we have the South African Society of Physiotherapy, the South African Association of Audiologists, South African Speech Language Hearing Association. We have Occupational Therapy Association. We have Rural Rehab Association. However, before we start this discussion, we thought it would be suiting to um, define what rehabilitation is in order to situate our discussion. And so looking at the definition of rehabilitation, this means a goal-orientated and time-limited process aimed at enabling impaired persons to reach an optimum mental, physical, and social functional as defined in section one of the National Health Act. In addition to this definition, um, we always add the World Health Organization definition. And this defines rehabilitation as a set of interventions designed to optimize functioning and reduce disability in individuals with health conditions so that they can interact with their environment. And so looking at the rehabilitation professionals, we function in multidisciplinary teams in order to ensure quality care. Again, we function within intersectoral spaces and we always look at the social determinants of health within the communities that we serve and the activities that we always engage in uh, involve prevention, promotion, awareness. And when you look at this, there is a line drawn between health and social spaces. And so looking at the term allied health professionals as used in the definition of primary healthcare in the National Health Bill. This needs to be clarified. That is to, step, to stipulate which practices are envisaged as allied health professionals and as such primary care practitioners. And so here our understanding of the term implies that these are the allied health professions council, or these are professionals who are with the Allied Health Profession Council of South Africa and are regarded as primary, health, primary care providers in addition to the general practitioners, dentists, and nurses. And so in this case, rehabilitation professionals seem to have been excluded. And so looking at the next slide, these are all the elements that are covered under the definitions as referred to um, stated in the National Health Act, as well as the World Health Organization. I'm not going to go through each and every element, but when we function, we always function within these spaces and guided by these elements. Moving to the next slide, we have captured a short video showcasing rehabilitation in a South African context. And here we are trying to showcase that um, teamwork is, is great work. And this is a collaborative effort um, between 
people with disability and the rehabilitation. Um, Mrs. Foree, may I please ask you to show the Recording stopped.
Recording in progress. Thank you very much for that. And um, ethical considerations here, informed consent as well as permissions were granted um, on all parties participating in this video. Thank you so much for that. Um, moving on to this right. slide. Okay. Moving on to this slide, um, take home points. Take home points regarding rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. Uh, I, I saw you some day yeah, the robot, you know. You are aging. Who's aging now? Who's aging? Can that person, Lance, is on his name is, please mute. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Chairperson. From this video taken, um, I must say ethical considerations taken, um, informed consent as well as permissions were granted um, on all the parties' consent. The take-home message from the definitions that we've presented as well as the video that we've just showcased now, um, rehabilitation practitioners are not allied healthcare professionals. Instead, we are health practitioners registered with the HPCSA. And we work with um, multidisciplinary teams. However, we are restricted in, in, in our service delivery, looking at the population ratios to the rehabilitation professionals. And so we need support from professionals as, as such as mid-level workers. However, we do know that there is lack of training opportunities, as well as regulation when it comes to these professionals. And so looking at how we are practicing, 
we are sort of restricted without colleagues that are supporting us, as I've mentioned, mid-level workers. And in order to meet the social and health determinants demands and address health inequities uh, affecting our population, rehab professionals should function within collaborated intersectoral spaces. And we've seen this from the video captured clearly. And um, we cut going into different income streams. And having said that, we should be taken as experts within us, as per registration, as per HPCSA registration, as well as the associations that are represented at this meeting. The next slide, in the next slide, chairperson and committee, it's important for us to state that we are in support and principle for the universal health coverage, and we are willing to support and work together to improve the health services and quality health. However, by definition, rehabilitation professionals have been excluded from the bill. And so there are concerns and how we are going to be addressing this concerns. Um, can we move to the next slide, please? We are going to be discussing this presentation or we are going to um, frame this presentation according to this following headings, looking at inequity, human resources, reinvestment, composition of um, contracting units, criteria included for accreditation with the fund, as well as the NHR bill in general. And we have different um, speakers that are going to be talking to each topic. May I please um, hand over to our next speaker who's going to be talking to inequity. Thank you very much. Recording stopped. Good day. Um, can everyone hear me and the chicken that is going? Recording in progress. So, universal healthcare considers who is covered, for what services, and at what cost. Universal healthcare demands that people access healthcare based on need and not the ability to pay. Key principles include that of equity and financial risk protection. Health services should be accessible, affordable, appropriate, and acceptable. And targeted strategies for vulnerable groups may be needed to ensure the universality of health in South Africa. Pertinent to disability and rehab is out-of-pocket expenditure in accessing care and information systems to assess baseline and progress. Next slide. Decades of underinvestment in disability and rehabilitation services have resulted in a plethora of issues, and there's no single silver bullet to address the inequities in health, education, socioeconomic outcomes experienced by people with disabilities. Challenges ar uh, around who accesses care, what care is available, and the numerous barriers contributing towards catastrophic health expenditure by this vulnerable population exist. Next slide. In uh, inequalities in health access, coverage, and outcomes in South Africa follow geographical, socioeconomic, and racial lines. Need and access to care for people with disabilities in South Africa seems to be inversely proportional. Disability and rehabilitation workforce data is fragmented and difficult to obtain across the public and private sectors. Aggregate data obtained is unable to show particular discrepancies in coverage according to rurality or district, 
and the presence of a multidisciplinary team at facility is not captured. This makes gap analysis particularly challenging, and without disaggregated data, we will struggle to identify pockets of inequities to close these gaps. The application and issuing rates of the various assisted devices also vary significantly across provinces, with some provinces producing rates as low as 30%. Whilst issuing rate is an acceptable sentinel indicator for service delivery, it fails to take into account inequities in access and elements of quality of care, such as relevant qualifications of therapists and follow-up service rates for training, maintenance, and repairs. Deficiencies in data around human resources, budgets, and follow-up rates raise serious quality concerns. Next slide. And yet we have comprehensive policies and frameworks. The FSDR framework supports a full multidisciplinary rehab team at each level of care per subdistrict, including mid-level workers such as peer supporters and orientation mobility practitioners. It is a framework which adopts a human rights-based developmental approach towards disability at primary healthcare level, an approach which harnesses the inherent skills and knowledge of people with disabilities and is driven by mid-level community-based rehab workers. The framework, backed by South Africa's policy on assistive devices, supports a comprehensive list of assistive devices at all care. But the service continues to be inequitable and sidelined. Despite barriers in access and services remain fragmented and largely I would like to add here that a single trip to hospital has the potential to cost up to 1,200 Rand for a person with a disability. Depending on the household income, this could be in excess of 100%. A haphazard approach towards developing human resources, including the allocation of community service therapists, means that most public sector hospitals do not have a full multidisciplinary rehab team. There is a serious lack or complete absence of key mid-level rehab workers. And besides the orientation mobility trainers, no progress has been made towards addressing this to date. Because of this, massive backlogs and assistive devices exist. Listed are the lowest quintiles in the poorest provinces. Data deficiencies compound planning, budgeting, monitoring, and evaluation. Despite South Africa ratifying the UN Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities in 2007 and promulgating the White Paper on the Rights of People with Disabilities in 2015, compete with implementation metrics and international recommendations, there's been an underwhelming implementation. Our health system itself is driving inequities in access and outcomes for the most vulnerable within our society. Understanding what disability and rehab services have to offer and the barriers that they need to be that need to be taken into account in services affordable, accessible, and acceptable to people with disabilities is low at all levels, from policy to management and coalface and across professions. Organizational culture and bureaucratic hierarchies currently prevent the meaningful integration of disability and rehab across health programs, leading to inefficiencies and poor health outcomes. A lack of consideration for the inclusion of disability and for incorporating universal design principles such as an infrastructure, planned patient transport, health program and system design mean that time and money is wasted in lobbying for inclusion after implementation. A recent paper by Sherry and Reid highlight the multiple missed opportunities and systemic barriers which contribute towards catastrophic health expenditure and loss to follow-up. Barriers which will not cost a lot to address. The way that services are designed and who delivers them, how and where, further affects uptake and retention in care. But unless meaningful data is collected and acted upon, services remain unresponsive to need. Whether the needs of people with disabilities are incorporated into what services delivered, by whom, how, where, including other sectors such as education, 
determines whether this country can break the perpetuating cycle of poverty and disability. But all is not lost, and NHI potentially gives us the opportunity to reimagine and redesign the system to address barriers and inequities. However, this will need coordinated and inclusive planning involving those of us at Coalface as well as end users within the system. It will require broader so uh, social reforms and attention to governance and service delivery in other sectors to address the social determinants of health and social inequities. The ball lies in your court as much as in ours. Many recommendations have already been made over many years. The trick is actually in implementing them. Thank you. I hope the speakers are lined one after the other so that we don't have a quick pause in between. Uh, greetings to the honorable members of parliament and colleagues. Um, from the table that you see on the screen, it can be seen that a simple comparison of the population of each province and the total number of rehabilitation workers illustrates the vast inequities between provinces and as a result, inevitable inequities in access to services. Where the Eastern Cape Free State and Western Cape have populations of almost 7 million, almost 3 million, and just over 7 million respectively, the total number of rehabilitation workers in each province is 967, 832, and 4,667 respectively. This means an inhabitant of the Western Cape has access to five times as many rehabilitation workers as an inhabitant of the Eastern Cape, and to almost three times as many rehabilitation workers as an inhabitant of the Free State. Add to this factors such as the structural inequalities in transport, as well as the vastly different rural to urban distributions of those populations. And it's very apparent that there cannot be a one-size-fits-all solution to ensure that all citizens have equitable access to services. The NHI bill must ensure that all possible solutions to the current inequities are explored and accommodated. All possible referral pathways should be explored as an essential component for rehabilitation service delivery to reduce the burden of pu on public sector facilities, as well as to ensure adequate provision of services to the majority of our people. The current legislation and processes to establish such, such partnerships are cumbersome and very time-consuming. Hello, Mr. As a transitional P solution. Mr. P yes. can we request uh, the people who are setting up this presentation who are assisting you to just fine-tune the the presentation, it is really blurred a bit. I'm sure it can improve uh, better than what it is. Is there a possibility, uh, Ms. Mbali? Chair, uh, mine is perfectly clear. All right. Okay, can you okay. Then can continue, like thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Mm. Um, Right. Okay, so as a transitional solution, it is recommended that for the National Department of Health to make session, session posts available, give access to private beds, for example, neonatal ICU and spinal cord rehab, explore innovative finance models for middle-level workers and disability workers through service-level agreements with NPOs and DPOs and tapping into expanded public works program. It is essential that private sector practitioners be contracted to the NHI fund for the delivery of rehabilitation services due to the shortage of HR capacity currently experienced in the public sector. This will also demonstrate the commitment of government to 
establish a fully integrated health system, which recognizes the skills, experience, and contribution to the health system of all healthcare practitioners. This is also vital to respond to patient needs. Contracting the private sector therapists is one solution to the current inequity in contracting and service provision. But that can only work if the required therapists are available in the area where there is, one, where there is a particular need for them. This is one reason why it is critical to examine the existing organograms and the actual staff structures in the public sector. The very inadequate numbers of rehab staff across both the private and public sectors to meet the need mean that it is imperative that other categories of staff are also appointed, especially those who may not work independently, such as therapy assistants and technicians and ward-based outreach teams who are essential for identifying and referring people in need of healthcare services. But this will create added demand and stretch further the already inadequate rehabilitation services. The NHI will require changes to the existing regulatory structures to facilitate contracting and registration and training of additional categories of healthcare workers. However, not only do public sector healthcare workers provide healthcare services, they also provide an essential training service for healthcare students who require several hundred hours of supervised clinical experience to complete their training. It is for this reason that it is, that it is essential that adequate numbers of public sector posts are created as supervision and training are very time consuming and cannot be done at the expense of patient care. Essentials for delivery of quality care include, firstly, upskilling of all categories of staff, staff retention, developing of service delivery, and development of governance and leadership skills. Next slide. It is recommended that um, the proposed ministerial committees must be board committees and be appointed and function in terms of mandates provided by the NHI board. The size, membership, and mandate of the stakeholder advisory committee are not specified in the NHI bill. The NHI bill must determine the advisory committee sizes to be big enough to represent all the necessary skills and expertise required, which are published in the Government Gazette. These representatives should be nominated and appointed through transparent processes, which are published in the Government Gazette. Fourthly, it is submitted that the rehabilitation services and academic institutions should be rep represented in each of the proposed advisory committees as rehabilitation services require unique input. Uh, firstly, section 25.2 should be changed as follows. What's on the slide um, with the deletion of the word minister, and as you can see in the slide, uh, reference to expertise instead of technical expertise, as well as a deletion of one member must represent the parliament. And then finally, outputs of the benefits advisory and healthcare benefits pricing committees must be published in the government gazette for, for comment upon finalization. Thank you. I'll hand over to the next person. In theory, and examples from other low and middle income countries, contracting has the potential to address deficits in coverage and quality of care. But this depends on a number of things, not only around contract process, content, and implementation. There's understandably little detail about this in the bill. What type of contract is entered into, with whom, and for what service is important. 
This will determine the health objectives and outcomes identified and guide how incentives and information systems are structured. However, this also depends on what capacity the CAPs have in developing, negotiating, monitoring, and responding to contracts and how much accountability is built into the system. Payment and contracting approaches have the potential to change provider behavior and impact on health outputs and health outcomes, but only if they're done well. Contracting, however it is done, demands that the appropriate health information is available to assess need, to develop strategic contracts and assess for contracting outcomes. As previously stated, there are serious gaps in current information systems around disability and rehab, and these need to be urgently addressed in order to enable contracting to proceed fairly and sustainably and without either party bearing unreasonable risk. Many other countries have struggled with contracting issues, and we appreciate the fact that this will be a developmental approach. For this reason, we welcome the transitional arrangements discussed within the bill and want to encourage government to strongly consider health system strengthening and addressing coverage of care challenges, especially human resources, within the public sector with immediate effect. Whilst rehab posts within the public sector have increased since 2010, it has been marginal, and no monitoring has occurred that we are aware of around whether this increase has been a systematic and targeted approach. In addition, as pre said previously, little to no progress has been made in developing, tra uh, training and employing key cadres of mid-level rehab worker either. Piloting has been limited to health system strengthening, addressing issues of governance at management level, and no piloting has been done around the contracting of disability and rehab personnel to address critical service delivery gaps beyond the contracting of COVID support staff. There's a low level of understanding of disability and rehab issues and needs at all levels of management. And we are concerned that this will extend the CUPS as well. If therapists from different settings and backgrounds are not involved at an early stage in discussions around contracting, then this poses a serious threat to expenditures and outcomes. Next slide. We would like to propose that considerable and urgent attention is given to addressing data deficits in identifying service delivery and health outcomes gaps according to the existing package of care and in prioritizing key aspects of the service to pilot through contracting. The NHI is about addressing coordinated multidisciplinary care and strengthening health systems to reduce inefficiencies and improve equity and health outcomes, whilst also reducing out-of-pocket expenditure for the population. There are some areas which could benefit from immediate public-private partnerships, but require addressing administrative issues, such as the purchasing, and, uh, purchasing of beds and services for acute care neurological patients. Other areas of concern are those which require additional skill sets from therapists or significant and sustained community engagement, mid-level worker inclusion and strong health systems, such as wheelchair seating services, primary healthcare, subacute and chronic neurological rehab services and community-based mental health care services. There's now opportunity to trial the contracting using different models of contract and different models of care across different settings, as well as assessing referral pathways across the levels of care. Next slide. As stated previously, therapists and end users from a variety of contexts should be included at all stages and levels of health systems and uh, service planning. Principles of universal design and disability inclusion must be applied across programs and projects, including areas such as plan patient transport, community health worker training, and health information system development. A disability lens should always be applied. 
Urgent and immediate attention should be given to the human resource crisis, including issues of mid-level workers and backlogs in infrastructure, particularly around accessibility. As disability and rehab are cross-cutting programs and health outcomes are tied closely to the social determinants of health, consideration should also be given towards intersectoral collaboration and how that will be handled with regards to contracting and payment. Next slide. Particular attention should also be given to issues of accessibility, affordability, acceptability, and appropriateness of care when developing and piloting contracts. Services should be provided as close to people's homes as possible. Triaging and task shifting and intersectoral collaboration will need to occur at primary healthcare levels to address affordability, accessibility, and health outcomes. Considerable indirect patient care will need to <clears throat> occur to improve coordination and quality of care. Attention thus needs to be given to how this will be reimbursed. Whilst contracting has the potential to change provider behavior, coverage, affordability, and quality of care, as well as health outcomes, if it is done poorly, it runs the risk of perpetuating existing inefficiencies and inequities. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> so in terms of reimbursement models for rehabilitation services, the question we have is how much public money will be enough? The NHI will receive substantial amounts of public funding and will be responsible for the healthcare services provided to millions of people in South Africa. And the fund being a public entity as defined by the PFMA, however not state-owned and listed under Schedule 3A of the PFMA. This public entity will have the mandate to fulfill specific and economic or social government responsibility, like a Schedule 3A public entity, the Road Accident Fund. So while we understand that the NHI would be looking at prepayment and pooling of risk and social solidarity that is proposed to cover income across subsidization, for example, rich, poor, and risk cross-subsidy, the sick and healthy, we note that the NHI bill is silent to any financial risk protection, as well as to the ceiling of funds that will be required to prevent a bottomless funds scenario. Next slide, please. We also acknowledge as a group that the access to quality health particularly rehabilitative health, is a gradient. The reimbursement models for rehabilitation are therefore not clear in detail. Will it be an hourly rate and a package-based approach to be considered in relation to risk-adjusted financial system and value-added service as a delivery model? What does this mean? What will the priorities be? What will the compromise be? The national health insurance will ideally drive accessible and equitable healthcare for all within the paradigm of promotive, preventative, rehabilitative, and palliative scope to fulfill its universal healthcare mandate, not just a medical approach. In the gradient, the evaluation of the phase one implementation of interventions in the national health insurance pilot study the evaluation report released in July 2019 found that provinces supported the capitation model for reimbursement or other outcome-based reimbursement schemes, 
But ideally, the provinces did not support a fee-for-service payment model. For us as the rehabilitation team, timeless payment for rehabilitation is a concern, and understanding of these models are very important to how this would actually operate in detail and at the cold face. Empirical evidence suggests that amongst low and middle income economies, mixed funding models have performed well in terms of health outcomes and have generally achieved this at lower cost than better known universal healthcare models, like the beverage model, which is the tax-based model used globally or was used globally, and the Bismarck model, for example, based on social in insurance. With the proposed overall of the health care delivery and funding mechanisms, and with little to no evidence-based policy inputs, and virtually no piloting of the proposed reimbursement models, particularly in rehabilitation, and insufficient evidence of their proposed impact. This for us, a meaningful level of fiscal detail is therefore absent and also vitally important. Countries who have used capitation models, now this is not primary, but which have been secondary and value-driven, have shown that there are pros and cons to the model, such as simplified bookkeeping, reduced excessive billing, or more costly procedures, and patients also avoid unnecessary tests and procedures. Though there are also fewer services that are incentivized for offer in healthcare. And therefore our question that quality healthcare being what will be the priority when we're looking at secondary value-driven um, models and the pros and cons of that? What would be the compromise in terms of rehabilitation to other models that might be within the healthcare system. Outcome-based value payment models traditionally are performance-related, as we are aware, and incentive payments for, the health, for healthcare providers. And globally, this generally depends on at least 10% of outcomes of provided care. This may speak to some conditions of care that show improvement, but there are also conditions that require intervention that where, where improvement is not directly measurable for example, in conditions such as dementia. So for our team, inequity that has been stressed throughout this presentation, funding for rehabilitation and disability services must be available. And how far will they be available? We believe that this needs to be available at disability areas and within all minimum standards. Next slide, please. The chapter 10 of the bill, looking at financial matters, weighs heavily on the structures to support the NHI, from a board to units, such as the planning unit, benefits design, provider payment mechanism and rates, accreditation, purchasing and contracting, provider payments, procurement, performance monitoring, risk, fraud prevention and investigation. But the fiscal split for financing of these structures and naturally the human resource and staff that isn't required to support these structures versus the finance, fin financing of quality service for good health outcome for the population as the primary purpose of the NHI is not clearly articulated. On an economy of scale and the Gini coefficient, the inequality coefficient, the bill has no information or any preamble or in miscellaneous terms any cover of what a capital structure budget would look like and what a working capital budget would be. 
We raise this point based on the fact that data from the World Health Organization shows that South Africa's burden of disease was more severe and more complex than most of its peer countries. And this is a World Health Organization reference 2016. We also raise this point on the basis that a high and increasing burden of disease means that resource requirements are higher than what can be predicted with health systems in countries with similar levels of economic development like ours. And finally, we also raise this point on the basis that South Africa's disability adjusted life years are significantly higher than, the developing than a developing country's average. So specifically in this area of financial matters, we'd like to point out the following. Number 51, 1A of the bill. The bill does not stipulate any corrective action and or accountability if audit and financial records are not submitted timelessly. We believe consideration should be given to a corrective note in the section. The monetary investment in the fund is anticipated to be huge and a mechanism for access and scrutiny of the annual financial statements needs to be somewhere enunciated. As recent as March 2021, we're aware that the Auditor General has called on government leaders to ensure one, sustainable solution to prevent accountability failures, two, to ensure consequences for accountability failures, three, to prioritize improving financial managers and management of auditees, and four, to take opportunities for progressive and sustainable change. This, we believe, would have an impact on the way the annual is, is and will be reported on. Under this financial matters, number 51.3, in the annual report, actual reporting, we know that we note also that there is no qualitative or World Health Org Organization standard for healthcare reporting outcome to encompass the reporting of improvement in health and disability. Given that the NHI is to be used for universal healthcare, International health outcome benchmarking for middle-income countries like ours should be considered and featured in the annual financial report. Number 54E, finally. We note also that the fine for theft and fraud are noted in the bill as 100,000 and less than five years in prison. Our comment is that this hardly indicates serious or dissuasive attempts um, to tempting fraud and corruption that the fund may attract and that this clause needs to be reconsidered and reviewed. Thank you very much. Thank you. And it's, it's my pleasure to continue on the criteria, uh, having heard all the uh, previous um, inputs. Um, the time for accreditation of health service providers are currently five years and it seems like health establishments are excluded. So we therefore um, recommend that health establishments must be included in this time frame. And for sustainability and commitment and um, to grow the health system, it is recommended that the time frame should be increased from five years to 10 years. We are working closely already with the Office of standards and we do agree that standards are required and is necessary um, to monitor um, services. We are greatly concerned on two scenarios, for example, 
If a facility um, in public sector, as per the audit um, that was done by the office, is, for instance, not compliant, but that's the only facility in that area, that will affect accessibility and will the government then be held responsible and step in? Or what if an, an health provider is certified but the facility fails? So can that service still continue? And emphasis um, must be that all facilities must ensure full accessibility for people with disability, as was very clearly stated and, and seen before. It's also recommended that a list of accredited um, providers and health establishments must be published annually, and that the bill must allow the board and the fund to outsource functions. So if they don't have the um, ability or the capacity for example, the Office of Health Standards, that certification or other funds, uh, functions can be outsourced. We do agree that monitoring and evaluation is a crucial element of the success of universal health coverage, and we do support the development of a unique, robust health information system in South Africa. Currently, data management is very fragmented. Um, and that makes it almost impossible to monitor and evaluate health services and to make informed decisions. Um, performances of, of health providers um, under, uh, you know, if, if that will de determine the accreditation of a health provider, certainly those monitoring and evalu evaluation should be done by somebody that's familiar with rehabilitation services. If it is a requirement to provide certain information with, um, within a data um, uh, section, then certainly uh, the fund must make a provision to provide the necessary tools for that information, like computers, infrastructure, internet connection, and programs. It is not clear in the bill who will determine the criteria for monitoring and evaluation of quality care, and it's recommended that rehabilitation services to be included in the discussion when it's coming to, to rehab services. It's also important to note that the benefit package must include access to and maintenance of assistive devices um, at all levels of care to prolong the life of the device, to reduce the cost and improve the quality of um, the user um, and the device by the patient. We do support clinical guidelines and that certain uh, guidelines um, must be adhered to based on evidence and best practice. Um, rehabilitation services should be included in all benefit packages on all level of care for all age groups. It is crucial that professional associations like ourselves must be involved in the preparation of protocols and treatment guidelines if we need to adhere to those. And it's crucial that um, providers' autonomy must not be compromised when it comes to decision-making on a patient's condition. We do support the research agenda. Unfortunately, in South Africa, there's very little academic accepted rehabilitation evidence available, and therefore we need to rely on international guidelines where universities and clinicians will be involved in contextualizing and developing these guidelines. And therefore we recommend that the NHI fund must make provision for the uh, research agenda 
um, to be done properly. We do not support that the minister in uh, consultation with the fund can decide on the provision of minimum health services, the number and mix of healthcare professionals, or these guidelines. Lastly, um, the adherence to the referral pathway. Um, if we need to adhere to that, the referral pathways must be practical and easy to manage. It must include all health uh, providers and establishments um, on an equal opportunity basis. It must in include up and down referrals from home-based care, primary health care to tertiary and specialised care and downwards. And clinicians must be involved in creating these referral pathways. Thank you. Over to Professor Padovit to summarise. So, Mokta, can I have the next slide, please? So, just in summary of this section, we would like to um, just reinforce that we would like to see that all um, um, the NHI governance structures must adhere to standards of best practice. And we have made a recommendation about the King's Four report on corporate governance as a possible um, um, reference. We would like to have a no-fault precision added to the bill. We would like to see an overt percentage for cost of, go of the governance structure and that this should be specified so that it does not overrun the cost for essential funds for service delivery. And we would like to suggest that this is externally audited by a reputed and independent auditing company. We, the, we, are, we have some concerns about the range of powers of politically appointed Minister of Health, and we would like to recommend that the effective and efficient board be in control of the key functions of the NHI and service delivery. And in addition, that the membership of the board and the chief executive officer of the fund have appropriate qualifications and that the process of appointment be open to robust public scrutiny and obviously be extremely transparent. We would like to recommend that at least one member of the rehabilitation professions be in, included in, in, um, the, on the board. And we would like to also suggest that there is robust consultation with the Rehabilitation Professional Associations and societies around this. We also propose that the ministerial advisory committees must include an appropriate mix and number of healthcare professions, including the rehabilitation professions, in order to provide informed decision making with respect to um, rehabilitation services. This is not will not be able to be done by the medical practitioners. We also would like to see a mix of contracted and employed healthcare providers on such committees. Next slide, please. We also recommend that civil society should have a robust appeal committee and have access to all reporting processes and that consumer satisfaction for health services be in place to inform planning and strategies. We have some concerns about the centrally managed procurement and supply system proposals. This needs to be efficient to prevent long provision um, um, details. We don't believe that a yearly review is at all feasible. And the procurement must also include separate spares and repairs policies for assistive devices. 
and we would like that rehabilitation providers being consulted about the procurement of professional equipment and assistive devices in order to ensure that it is appropriate for our South African conditions. Next slide, please, Malta. As far as the implementation of the NHI is concerned, we do support full implementation by 2026, but we would like to have the implementation not time-based, but more milestone-based um, to further explain Section 33 of the Bill and also to allow health professionals to plan and to ensure that the, that the correct procedures are in place to support our services. We, um, the implementation should not affect continuity of care, especially where interruptions of care may cause harm, particularly in the case of some, some conditions, and that they, and there must be some accountability provided um, in the transitional arrangements as suggested in section 57. We do want to suggest um, that health service delivery is intersectorial and that there is robust and responsive relationships between the different departments, which is, which is not evident in the bill. And there is a list of the departments that we believe should be included. Next slide, please. We do believe that it is important that um, attention is given to retention and skilling of the rehabilitation workforce. We would like to suggest that there is a consideration of a workforce retention program. Um, the, the proposed contracting system we see is complex and has already been suggested that the five-year frame time frame may not be sufficient to promote buy-in from healthcare providers in order to contribute to health service growth and continuous upskilling. We suggest that a 10-year option may be um, appropriate with, with um, required quality assurance, but obviously there does need to be some flexibility because healthcare workers are quite mobile. We do believe the Health Professions Council should be held more accountable for the regulation of practice and practitioners, and we do not believe that this is a function of the NHI or any structure of the NHI. Clinical training of all levels of students is a cost-to-service provision, and this has not been sufficiently addressed or considered in the bill. And um, a community service is a statutory requirement for all rehabilitation professionals, and it's not clear how this is going to be accommodated and managed. We have added in, uh, uh, just then in closing remarks, um, we as, as a group support the principles and objectives of universal healthcare and the NHI to, to fund this. We do have concerns about the checks and balances to prevent fraud and wastage. And we do also think that it, people that um, the departments are going to have to work really hard to establish trust in the system and in to deliver quality health care to all. We have included for your considerations some documents which have supported our thinking around this. And there, is, there they are. We've listed them there. And also some additional references for your attention. 
We are going to move to the next section of our um, presentation, which is the present profession-specific presentations. And um, we call, we're going to start with the medical orthotics and prosthetics in public health. Um, and um, then we will go on to the, the presentations in the following order. Good morning, everybody. Um, just uh, give an intro, medical aesthetics and prosthetics forms an integral part of the multidisciplinary team in healthcare services, rehabilitation and disability management. Nationally, we have uh, 25 uh, ONP centres um, with 129 um, ONPs in level two and three hospitals, currently um, not serving at a primary healthcare level. Then our um, public to professional ratio at this stage is um, 465,000 per auditors in public health. And then um, just to say that, uh, we have a session a bit later on where there will be elaboration of um, our services and it will be presented by so, thank you very much. I will um, be just stop uh, sharing for a second to be able to share the next uh, presentation. Thank you very, thank you very much for this presentation. Um, from the SAAA's point of view, or the South African um, Association of Audiologists, we still reiterate that we are recognizing the need for health reform in South Africa. Next slide, please, Marta. However, it is important to um, bring this point uh, or bring these points to the attention of the chairperson and the committee that the majority there no of... Slides. There are no slides that are shown here. I don't know whether it's only me. I don't... Yes, only now they are starting. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, Chairperson. Um, I'm, I'm just going to... This is the first slide where we are introducing the South African Association of Audiologists, Diapolon Tlagana, the current president of the association, presenting. And we are going to... Um, reiterate again that um, we do recognize the need for health reform in South Africa. Next slide, please, Marta. However, it is important to bring to to bring um, attention to these points that the majority of registered audiologists work in the private sector due to limited posts available in the public health sector. And we do know that some of the posts in the public health have been frozen. Therefore, it is in our interest to know how the bill will ensure transparent accreditation of private practices to allow for autonomous practice in line with HPCSA scope of practice for audiologists and remuneration for quality hearing healthcare services. Remuneration for equipment and types of equipments and devices that um, we use uh, at the core of our practices. 
Audiological assessments rely heavily on equipment such as audiometers, booths, and we can go on and on. And not only for the services that we provide, but for the patients um, who need hearing aids, uh, as well as other equipment for um, hearing loss. Thus, it is clear that um, equipment and devices lists need to be clarified in the bill. At about 20.3% of the South African population across lifespan, we do know that they are presenting with different types of hearing loss. And most of the hearing loss is or can be managed using primary prevention methods and treatments. However, this has not been the case. There has been missing diagnosis. And looking at the ratio of 8% audiologists to a population of 1 million in this country, this seems to be an impossibility for audiologists to cover. And looking at the audiologist scope of practice, there is um, spaces where we work in education, both basic and higher education, as well as medical legal spaces. We would like to find out how the bill is going to put this together so that there is continuity of service. And so looking at our main recommendation or recommended solution, this is made to chapter eight of the bill that talks to the procurement. And here we would recommend the inclusion of audiologists or audiologist equipment and products in the bill as well as to include rehabilitation in the essential equipment list. Thank you so much. Is there no other presenter? Communication is at the heart of who we are as human beings, and it is an essential and very important human need, as well as a basic human right. It allows us to connect, interact, and exchange ideas and information, and our work, education, and participation depend on communication. Impaired communication affects every aspect of a person's life, including family and work interactions. A speech therapist and audiologist assists in the prevention, diagnosis, treatment and management of communication disorders. Speech therapists are the only healthcare professionals who are mandated and trained to provide assessments and intervention for people with swallowing disorders. In babies, these are often temporary due to issues like prematurity, and no intervention would mean that these babies will most likely be bottle-fed. The importance of breastfeeding for long-term health and survival, especially in lower socioeconomic communities, is well known. 
In adults, swallowing disorders are usually a consequence of neurological disorders and have been found in 70% of stroke patients. If not identified and intervention given, the chance of serious illness or death due to aspiration of food and liquids into the lungs or starvation and dehydration is high. According to Stats SA 2011 census, 5.2% of the population over the age of 5 years have disabilities in hearing or communication. The following statistics speak to our concern about equity of access to services based on the available data of 2011. There are vast differences between the provinces in terms of therapist population ratio and the incidence of communication disability. Nationally, there is one therapist to every 802 patients with a communication or hearing disability. The average number of persons with communication or hearing disability that each therapist would be responsible for varies from 317 in the Western Cape to 4,261 in the Northwest. The bill provides no clarity on how it intends to provide clinical professionals with the resources they require in order to do their jobs properly. Services require a package of resources and if all the resources are not available, those that are available will not provide optimum services. What is needed would be adequate and suitable space, equipment, consumables, therapy resources, assistive devices for staff and patients. All of the above are necessary for patients to get a comprehensive service. One of the core competencies of our professions is the provision of various communication technologies which help compensate for the loss of hearing or speech. There is a concern about how these technologies will be sourced, monitored and allocated by the NHI Fund. Current budgets for assistive devices in the public sector, such as cochlear implants and high-tech communication devices, are extremely limited or simply don't exist. To conclude, Sashla's main concern is that the bill places the NHI firmly as a funding strategy and not a strategy for the provision of equitable health care. It appears to assume that all the required services already exist and merely need funding to be accessible to the general population. We encourage the committee to acknowledge that there are vast inequities and gaps in the availability of services, be it in the public or private health care, and without a mechanism to identify what services are available where, and a strategy for closing those gaps that goes beyond public-private partnerships, the current inequity in access to services will merely be exacerbated. We thank you for the opportunity to present to the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee 
on health. Does that conclude all the sub-presentations? There are two more, I think. Yes, go ahead. My name is Professor Pat DeWitt, and I'm the president of the Occupational Therapy Association of South Africa. And I would like to reiterate that, um, Rich, the notion of a single equitable health care system, provision of quality care that includes rehabilitation to promote health and wellness. We have had a number of concerns that have been raised by our constituents in addition to those we have already discussed. And they fit into those two headings. The one is financing and then care providers. And I have the next slide. So no cost at the user point of service is welcomed by our profession, but we do have some concerns about the lack of detail about how this quality healthcare system will be funded and sustained over time, considering the state of our economy and the very growth, low growth rate, which has been much lower than anticipated. In section 10, in chapter 10, section 49 of the bill, there are two sources of funding that have been mentioned that have raised concerns in our membership that relate to tax burden. And the one is the payroll tax for employers and search surtax for in personal income tax. And since there's absolutely no detail in the, the bill around how this, the percentage or how this is going to be used, it has raised considerable concern. The NHI structures and functions are well set out in the bill, but there, as we've already said, there's no projected costs for setup and sustaining of these structures, nor the percentage cost of the total budget. Um, and this is also of great concern as the that these the resources needed to support the national healthcare system will not impact on the sources for healthcare delivery, particularly in rehabilitation, where already there is a limitation of funding. We also note that an effective, efficient, and therefore costly national nation system will be required. The bill does speak to the cost of the development and maintenance and operationalization of such a system. And this is really of great concern because this system will be central to the efficient service provision and also to the control of the payment to service providers. And um, so, so then the lastly, um, we have a particular concern is delivery and continuous continuity of care. And one of the things that we do know is that timeless, accessible and ongoing intervention prevents disability. We do note that the, the, the prescribed referral pathways are um, very strict. And we would like to look at this in relation to the, the statement of reasonable amount of time. And for many users, particularly those with mental health care conditions to whom many of whom we um, provide services for, continuity of care is essential for 
health and well-being. And the practicalities of these referral pathways need to need efficient communication and easy access without long waiting times, which is currently the case. In our constituency, there are also concerns about future job security, remuneration, providing quality services with adequate resources and acceptable service delivery context. And the bill doesn't really provide a pure reassurance on these concerns. Um, can I have my the last slide? Um, oh. Perhaps the slide has just disappeared. And there is some and um, this is a slide marked in there. So, and while we note that some private practice up within package the NHI was unclear and one service private inadequate recording in progress occupational therapy within the system are extremely limited and in order for us to evaluate our services and make sure that we do what required these will emphasis so thank you very much. Um. Uh, Chair, there's uh, two more. It's a society of physiotherapy and rural. So we're almost uh, done. Yeah, I'm thinking why was this presentation done here now? Because there's a slot for occupational therapy presentation at three. At three o'clock. Yes, we have. We do. We have asked for an additional thing because we really want to talk to some other issues that were not mentioned in this presentation. But we are part of the rehabilitation family. My apologies. I
So what, what is the problem now? So, uh, sorry, I, I just, I think I managed to, to get it shared now. Uh, can you still, still hear me? We can hear you, Marta. And your screen is starting to share, but taking a bit of time to load. Okay. <clears throat> We apologize for that. Uh, I can someone talk without slides if they have a presentation of that because we are now wasting time. Lenise, are you able to share from your side, perhaps? Who is Lenise? Good morning, everyone. Uh, no, Magda, I don't have the slide open in front of me, but I can continue talking in the meantime. So my name is Lonise Jacobs. I am the current Deputy President of the South African Society of, of Physiotherapy. As way of introduction, we were founded in 1924 and represent overnight over 4,000 physiotherapists within South Africa. And this includes qualified physiotherapists, physiotherapy students, physiotherapy assistants, and more technicians within South Africa. Our working environment includes both the private and the public sector, and it reaches all over from the schools to the hospitals um, to primary health care, tertiary, and rehabilitation centers. Our national footprint of physiotherapy members contribute to a high quality of physiotherapy services. We also support the universal health coverage philosophy envisioned by Section 27 of the Constitution of South Africa. And we are active participants within the NHI legislation, as you can see today. We did have a video which described how the various areas and expertise that we have. As soon as Marta's got the slideshow going, we'll present that. But in the meantime, our scope of physiotherapy is extensive, as I had alluded to. We uh, recognize when contracting physiotherapists for delivery of services on the NHI all levels. Thank you so much, Marta. Marta is going to show slide three. Marta, you can just play the video for us, please. And everyone knows what physio actually is. professional to turn to when you want to achieve your best working and living body during for you and how to work with the moving parts 
the joints, the nervous system, the cardiovascular system, and the myofascial tissues that cover the organs and connect the muscles. Their mission is to help the body function better. So it doesn't matter at what state a patient is in when he or she first sees a physiotherapist, in hospital or as an outpatient, from acute conditions to final rehabilitation after an injury or an operation. A physiotherapist will facilitate your return to optimal function. In South Africa and a number of other countries, physiotherapists are first-line practitioners, which means that they can be consulted directly without any referral. A physiotherapist can assess a patient who comes in off the street and provide a diagnosis. They have an excellent and detailed foundation of knowledge about the body. And naturally, they also have the knowledge and insight to recognize when to refer a patient to an appropriate professional, such as a neurosurgeon, orthopedic surgeon, or a gynecologist. In best practice throughout the world, physiotherapists work within interdisciplinary teams to offer a variety of different skills and assist their patients in getting the best possible outcomes. A physiotherapist prescribes appropriate exercises, offers hands-on practical work, as well as education in several fields of healthcare, including pain management, musculoskeletal health, sports injuries and lung and heart conditions, stroke, head injury and other neurological conditions, women's and men's health, pediatric health, older adult health, and occupational injuries. Wise medical professionals know that includes physiotherapy in their patient management means their own hard work in caring for patients won't be lost. That with the appropriate rehabilitation, the patient will ultimately have better and longer lasting function through physiotherapy. So tell me, when last did you consult a physiotherapist? Thanks so much, Martha. Can we move on? So from that video, you can see that our scope is extensive. Our expertise is recognized when con we'd like to have make sure that our expertise is recognized when contracting physiotherapist services for the delivery under NHI at all levels. We want to also ensure that you are aware that we are important in critical care to maintain patients' respiratory, mental, and physical function, as shown in the video. Our emergency services that we are involved in, as we said before, was the breeding difficulties. So in order to provide critical care within ICUs and high care wards, mean that we are often available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Next slide, please. So what have we as a society done to date since we've heard of the initiation of the NHI? We've started a data collection project where we look at back and neck pain and the costing involved in caring for these patients, as well as other conditions. We are also in support of the universal healthcare uh, coverage and started the universal healthcare coverage rehabilitation where we are working hand in hand with other professionals. We have been involved with the Office of Health Standards Compliance. We have our own accreditation process, and we are currently comparing what uh, the OHSC is doing, as well as making sure that we are aligned with that. And then we have a platform called EduSAS. This assists with upskilling our physiotherapists and sharing our knowledge base. And this speaks to the, the issues and the shortcomings uh, that were mentioned in the previous presentations about the NHI. So we are in a position to support and encourage uh, sharing and, and upskilling 
the, uh, the physiotherapists that might not have the sufficient skills. We are involved in sponsorships. We are often involved with uh, cancer associations. We have donated beach wheelchairs. We offer bursaries to undergrads, postgrads. Uh, we fund research as it pertains to the South African context because we do understand there is a, a shortage within South Africa. Thank you, Marta. Dudela's running out of time. And then we have multiple health campaigns running throughout the year as it relates to the health calendar. Men's health, women's health, condition-specific disease prevention and encouraging active lifestyles, which do decrease, decrease the burden of disease on our health sector. Thank you so much. Um, the recommendations at this stage from the SASP is that persons must not be restricted in terms of where they choose to buy their healthcare services so that the private health insurance should still be able to permit uh, voluntary comprehensive medical cover. The pockets of excellence and expertise within the scope of physiotherapy should be considered in accreditation and contracting of services. We are engaged and, and encourage that you engage with funders, um, such as with hips, knees, oncology, because these are services that are ongoing with our aging population. The findings and recommendations of the Lancet Commission and include the HMI uh, inquiry for different reimbursement models. And then we do suggest that you have more pilot projects because we need to test these contracting and service provisions for the different reimbursement models. I did run through that quite quickly. Thank you again for your time and together we will change the world. This is the last presentation. Okay, Rurisa is a multidisciplinary um, rehab nonprofit organization. We seek to promote access to quality. We do support the principle of NHI and the potential this has to extend quality of services to the lowest socioeconomic groups. For this, we are really grateful. We also welcome the current levels of public sector engagement. Much of what we have discussed, we will echo. Rural and low resource settings have the least resources, have the poorest health outcomes and house the poorest people. Vertical equity needs to be applied to address immediate human rights issues and health inequities. Attention needs to be given to how services are designed to ensure financial risk protection and accessibility. This then affects retention and care and health outcomes. There's no one size fits all approach and a degree of flexibility will need to be applied whilst at the same time insisting key principles such as equity and access and retention and care as well as financial risk protection across the various quintiles. We are supportive of the transitional approach towards NHI and hope that immediate inequities within the public sector are addressed and proposed interventions that are suitably piloted across different settings and with the early and sustained involvement of therapists and end users in planning and implementation. We feel strongly that the package of care currently offered to undocumented migrants and stateless persons is insufficient and that health is a fundamental human right. Unhappiness when migrants are perceived to have received or benefits that South Africans have not. If the NHI will truly address current agencies, 
through improved governance and strategic purchasing, then the savings accrued through the system would surely be sufficient to cover the health needs of the small percentage of undocumented migrants currently within South Africa. If this is a budgetary concern, then non-affordability must be proven without a doubt. Thank you. Next slide. So a lot has been said over many years, international treaties, disability and rehab service cover and utilization. There's no strong disability program. Recording in progress. And there is little doubt that current disability and rehab services are not accessible, affordable, or acceptable to the lowest quintiles of our population. Next, next slide. So why... Why should we actually really invest in us? Because from a recent report linked to the WHO, it's a report called the Case for Investing in Assistive Technology, 2020. The return on investment on, on assistive devices is estimated at one to nine. That's massive. There are gains in health for the community and for the economy. Gains in access to assistive technology can make the difference between in failure or successful, between job or unemployment, between life of opportunity or a life of dependency. It really is assistive technology is broader than merely issuing the device. It includes WHO's eight steps to service delivery, skilled and accessible and comprehensive re rehab and disability workforce. Can we have it requires a functioning Supply chain and procurement mic. challenges. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Yeah, I remember the mics are on. Please, thank you. Yeah, investing in uh, assistive technology to do it properly and to get those returns of work on supply chain and a lot of health system strengthening and addressing causes of inequities in financing, service design, and delivery. So there are some key issues, and that is really that people with disabilities need to be recognized as a priority group with appropriate planning, especially those within quintiles one and two can fall through the gaps in the current system with catastrophic health consequences. The way systems are structured, financed, and resources drives inequities in coverage, quality of care, and coordination of care is severely compromised. This leads to catastrophic out-of-pocket out, um, out expenditure or a lack of access and retention in care. It drives poverty. So some things only require an attitude change. Some things require adjustments to systems as well as organizational culture shifts. Other things, unfortunately, are going to require initial and long-term financial investment. But for a return on, of, return on investment of one to nine, I think it's 
So we have some rural specific concerns um, in that primary healthcare services require a lot longer term commitments because there are, you need to have a lot of, um, these are people with long-term health issues. So you need significant health strengthening as well as community engagement. And that's something that you can just contract somebody in and contract them out about. Um, you need somebody to stick around and you need to build that capacity and that engagement. We have questions around what the specific plan is for institutions and practices not meeting accreditation standards in low resource settings where there are no other current alternatives. So just what would incentives be to get them accredited and, and what would the timeframes be that would be put in place for compliancy? Um, our other question is really around the specific plan about the, the CAPS not meeting the full health benefits package. Um, transporting people with disabilities, especially those with moderate and severe disabilities to neighboring sub-districts is not acceptable. Um, and what would be the turnaround time for compliance um, of these CAPs that are unable to meet the basic package of care? And what interim measures could be then put in place? Disability re uh, and rehabilitation planning and service implementation needs need to be at sub-district level for coverage and quality, especially in rural areas. I myself am in a, a rural area. I'm in the fourth most depressed health district of South Africa. <laughs> and for me to drive from one side of my district to the other side takes an excess of five hours. So it's really, it's not even a consideration in rural areas. We need to... Um, we need to increase the resources. Mid-level rehab workers are also a critical component, especially for coverage, quality, and acceptability of care. Obviously, urgent and immediate progress is needed, and we have said this throughout our presentation. Uh, an immediate plan, because rural and remote settings, um, there's always going to be the recruitment issue. Perhaps considering community service in low resource settings as an initial start towards addressing coverage concerns. Therapists want to stay, but they are not current options to stay. You've also got to, you've got to catch these therapists early in life, not mid-career. So, yeah. Next slide. Um, we have some some ideas around contracting, as well as some concerns, obviously. Um, could be useful uh, uh, is in build probably the easiest way to start with contracting. Um, contracting private to cover services that are difficult to access in rural concern early um, quality care really makes a difference in neurological outcomes 
risks. Um, there is a bureaucratic delay in registering them with the RAF, and therefore private sector hospitals will not take them early from rural areas because of this delay. Um, so some innovative ways to address um, contracting in urban areas to allow the shift of Department of Health workers to under-resourced settings would be good. Um, contracting to free up Department of Health rural or primary health care experts to do the primary health care side instead of the hospital-based service would work. Years needed, but not yet provisioned. I've said again, contracting post-community service therapists towards building capacity. And then unbundling specific services where we know that there are huge issues with care, um, such as wheelchair seating services, mental health care services, um, and neuro chronic neurological rehab services, such as cerebral palsy, spinal cord injuries, and multiple disabilities. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. It is um, all from our side, and thank you for the opportunity. Okay, that concludes uh, all the presentations that were to be done. Uh, the, the following members have indicated their wish. Are there any members who have either forgotten to raise their hands uh, or are still to raise their hands now so that we can take one round? Uh, I will read the names that have come up so far. The first one will be Honorable... Uh, Honorable Wilson is number one. The second question will come for the second uh, uh, member to ask Dr. Jacobs. The third one will be Honorable Sokata. The fourth one is the Honorable Mamam Shengwa. Uh, and I don't have any other hand. I, I raise my hand. Okay. Uh, the fifth one will be Honorable Munai, number five. Thank you very much. Honorable. Any other? Any other hand? None. Uh, members, can you then please ask your questions? Uh, maybe indicate whether it is on physiotherapy. Uh, whether it is on Marike, you could probably check, remember who presented or you remember what presentation, or is it audiologist or is it a physiotherapist? Uh, if you could then assist them so that you can prepare them as they prepare responses. Start, Honorable Wilson. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to each and every one of the presenters that we have seen today. Um, I think your, your presentations were, were actually superb. I think they were incredible. Um, and I think you highlighted a tremendous amount of issues, particularly um, in terms of those people who were challenged um, in this country. Your, your videos were uplifting, and, and we really appreciate and applaud the tremendous efforts that you and your organizations are putting in to assist those with challenges. However, I think what was extremely distressing um, was 
the highlighting that you have done on the extreme state, distressing state, state of health, particularly in the rural areas. And you're quite right. Universal health coverage means that people must be able to access appropriate and quality healthcare services. Um, and that is across the board, regardless of who they are, they are, regardless of their status, regardless of their living conditions, regardless of their income. And that's it, full stop. They must be able to access appropriate and quality health services. But in our health system as it stands, and your slide, particularly on assistive devices backlogs in the provinces, shows that in actual fact, very few, particularly in the more rural areas, have access to, have virtually no access um, to, to proper health care whatsoever, um, let alone rehabilitation services. And I think this is extremely, um, extremely concerning. So it makes it... Obviously, we have a lot to go through as far as your slides and presentations um, if, well, that were given to us today are concerned, um, because there were a lot and they were extensive and there was a lot of tremendously valuable information in it. So I think we, we've, we only had them in the last couple of days and I think they need a lot more work than just going through this presentation. Um, but I'm particularly glad that you raised the issue about piloting. Pilot projects were done on the NHI, but in actual fact provided no information or data whatsoever, simply because there were no measurables put into that pilot project. In, in other words, what were they going to measure? What services were they going to target? Um, what the results were? What were the needs? And, and I think that this is something that we as a committee and certainly in consideration of the NHI bill need to consider for, because I think more piloting needs to be done, and I'm glad that you highlighted that, because if we do not pilot on specifics and on specific healthcare needs, um, we're never going to get the big picture. So in, in, in principle, Chair, I, I don't have a question as, as such, except to congratulate the presentation, the presenters and their presentations. I think they were thorough. Um, and I think you highlighted a lot of issues and, and exceptionally important ones, um, including those of governance and leadership skills. Um, they are essential for the delivery of quality health care. And I think at the moment, and I think this has been highlighted over the last several weeks, this is an area that is seriously, seriously lacking. But just um, except to say thank you for a job well done. Thank you. The next one. Thank you, uh, Chairperson, and thank you very much to all of those who came to present to us quite a number of presentations as we uh, have uh, been watching and, and having heard. And uh, there are quite a number of takeaway messages from this. Firstly, your presenters, I want to reiterate, were very good uh, presentations. And uh, we, of course, could learn quite a lot from that. We also understand that you have many roles which you had uh, shown to us um, from your rehabilitation, which you are when you do a rehabilitation for patients. To functions uh, uh, which provide training to students, to providing services to patients, both in the public and in the private space. Uh, I do know that most of you are employed with this space. Um, and 
you have raised that it is because we uh, there do not seem to be enough posts in public space. But some of your concerns where you ask yourselves to be recognized within the NHI bill, we understand the need for that. But I want to ask you whether you do not think that those should be um, uh, uh, captured within the regulations rather than within the bill itself. Um, and that, uh, you know, recognition will be given to your presentations and your request, which were put forward today. You mentioned that the private health insurance should be permitted to offer voluntary comprehensive uh, medical cover. And the question is whether this is not an attempt to keep the uh, the two tiers of uh, of of uh, service provision, and then promoting the extreme inequality which we have currently. Section thirty three of the bill aims to prevent a parallel health system for the uh, and uh, and for those who reject the NHI, it seems uh, like they are would want to promote a parallel health system. I do understand that it's very costly to be to be doing rehabilitative services, whether you're an audiologist, uh, an orthotist or prosthetist or, or um, a, a, an occupational therapist, etc. And it's an expensive field of, uh, of medicine. So we do understand it would be costly. But, I think the, but what we should remember is that the NHI aims to end inequalities by providing quality health care to all and uh, whether your inputs can then be captured within the regulations. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Let me also welcome the different presentations. They were very good. Thank you very much for the presentations. I just have got two clarity-seeking questions, uh, Honorable Chair. The first one um, 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 is uh, for the Tula Oma Institute, Institute. They have mentioned, they have raised... Uh, we don't raised have those ones. You, you have prepared for the next presentation. They are coming in uh, shortly. They have not presented as yet. So I understand you have read all the presentations combined. So reserve those ones, my honor, for the next presenters. Okay, okay, Chair. Okay, Chair, let me just take my things. Can you then go to the next one? I will come back, Chair. Let me just take my, my things correctly. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Chairperson. Go ahead, Mamsheng, I can hear you. <laughs> Thank you very much. First of all, let me welcome the presentation that is very clear and informative and an eye-opener. We thank very much Chairperson for organizing this presentation for us. But I have a, a one clar seeking clarity question. They are they as they have talked about disability children where they get 
uh, wheelchair going to school. Mine is, is whether they are going to a special school or mainstream schools. If it is a mainstream school, is there a provision by the Department of uh, Education and Transport for their transport? Because the usually transport is not catered for uh, a wheelchair or they just mention or not seeing that as a priority because it is part of uh, a service in learners at school because they have not yet got their transport who can cater their uh, wheelchair. So just, uh, these people absorb in all hospital or in the private school. Thank you. Okay. Uh, you need the honorable so can to come back now. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, Honourable Chair, uh, there is SAAA. You said you suggest that rehab specialists should be included across all levels of the service delivery. Uh, uh, package of uh, will this not be decided by the committee to determine the cost effectiveness uh, cost effectiveness yes. and that's the, the question that I'm trying to ask you uh, you become beneficiary of the fund if you are 